0: Thank you. Thank you, uh, Pastor, for the invitation, your friendship. Uh, I have a question. Uh, do I qualify for the Friday 19 fellowship? That's what I want to Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com weightloss weight oh. loss. Why are you laughing? Come on now. Why, why would you do that? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I've prayed for years. I heard Pastor Mitchell praying this years ago, so I started praying it. Uh, God, give me a spirit of youth and a sound mind. That's a good combination, but it's, it's a privilege to be with you tonight, and uh, some of you have known for many, many years. Uh, thank God for your faithfulness, uh, your service, your sacrifices, your commitment to God, uh, or we wouldn't be here. And uh, in our fellowship, God's raising up another generation is very, very encouraging to me. Another generation of young men and women uh, to preach the gospel. Amen. If you have your Bible tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in August I preached a message and uh, a thorn in your flesh and in that message the thought was if we're not careful we're so consumed with the thorn that we miss the revelation and we miss the purpose of it. And Paul said, least I be exalted above measure. There was a thorn in my flesh that punctured my pride and put me on my knees. He said, I prayed three times. And it drew me back to grace. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he caught a revelation like a fresh revelation of grace in my weakness, I became strong. So I had such a response on that sermon, I decided to uh, preach a part two, and that's what I wanna preach to you tonight. Are you the thorn in someone's flesh? So you're gonna get part two tonight, uh, the Lord willing. Second Corinthians 12, uh, uh, very familiar, beginning with verse one. And least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger, that that thought it was allowed by God is kind of the thought behind that, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, least I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's that's a powerful truth. You ought to ponder that. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you the thorn in someone's flesh? Father, we come tonight by the blood and by the spirit. Um, We come, God, by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I pray tonight, even in this rally, God, each message, each service, uh, that you would bind up those who find their hearts broken, that you would... Set at liberty those that life and people have bruised. God, you open those who find themselves incarcerated by their own decisions, by life, by the demonic. I pray tonight you heal the sick. Lord, may your gospel forever be preached to the poor. God, give these people nations. God, give us nations and kindred and tongues and generations as an inheritance. God, all you do tonight, I thank you the privilege to preach your word. And may it be to the glory of your name, amen. Are you the thorn in someone's flesh? Personality disorders are a problem that's been accelerated like a tsunami in the hour in which we live. This word, personality disorders, uh, It's a way of thinking, it's a way of feeling and believing and reacting that deviates from what people expect of you. It's contradiction and contradictory to what's acceptable in society or in relationships. A personality disorder puts you out of sync with people and causes you conflict, disturbance, crisis of life. Uh, It's a pattern of behavior that is manifested in causing problems with people. It's affecting how you respond. How you relate in church, in marriage, in life, relationships. You go off on seemingly the slightest issues. You overreact, you overspeak. It's mental, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. This explosion comes out of you called a personality disorder. It's normally associated with a state of confusion. Wherever these people function in life, there's this disruption of, uh, this absence of order, chaos. Life really gets messy. And this is the hour in which we live. It's called a culture of lawlessness. Jesus speaks in the last days, Matthew twenty four twelve, because lawlessness will abound. What he's talking about is societies that are destabilized. There's no control, there's lawlessness. Second Thessalonians 2, 8 and 9, then the lawless one will be revealed, again in verse nine, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. In other words, we live in a culture and a society that's escalating this absence of rule or anarchy. It's a state of disorder. There's this casting off of authority, and this is affecting the church. Seattle, Washington, July 2020, probably remember they set fires, they looted businesses, they broke windows. It was so bad they abolished a police department. The police vanished, Uh, Portland, Minneapolis, others. New York City in 2100 police officers retired or resigned or turned in their badges. And their statement was, why arrest anyone? The DA just releases them back into the streets within a day. It's the largest exodus of police force in the history of New York City. Minneapolis. The murder rate rose 46%. Seattle has the highest uh, recorded uh, increase uh, in the history of that city. Portland murders more than triple. Los Angeles Police Department reported 38% increase in murders and violent crimes. I quote someone said, our once beautiful city has become a wasteland because we vilified, we validated or we vilified, I'm sorry, local authorities. The cancel culture, some have called it the online mob. I recently, not long ago, I mentioned this in a sermon in our conference. Within like a two week period in our church service, three different times. Um, these were people I did not know. Here was a mother sitting over here with her daughter. Saturday, she had been in the hospital trying to commit suicide, and she brought her Sunday morning. I'm talking about a young, maybe 20-year-old girl. Also over in this area, that same time span, a young Native American, her hair purple, all kind, tatted, uh, piercings. She came to me weeping in the service. Uh, she had attempted suicide that week. And just a, another young lady on my right, uh, within that time span, she was there. I'm noticing her. She's weeping in the service. She had just again got out of the hospital from suicide attempt. This is the hour in which we live. Jesus prophesied it, Paul spoke of it, um, and it seems it's like an avalanche on society. Cancel culture. Lawlessness. The statement as many as the Bible is outdated. It doesn't apply today. It's not relative, it's narrow-minded, it's bigot, it's intolerant. Someone said, has the world gone crazy? 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times they will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing or deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, somewhere the church has to be prepared um, both mentally and spiritually and emotionally um, uh, for this invasion of seducing spirits, this cultural shift that's creeping, this creeping rebellion against God. Another quote, society has gone morally adrift. The pandemic of reprobate thinking is having a moral and mental emotional effect on an entire generation, leaving them disillusioned with a full bag of personality disorders. We're trying to reach those people. We're having to minister to those people. Pastor those people, embrace those people. Um, and the problem is it's, a, it's attached um, and accompanied with strong delusion. Second Thessalonians 2.9, the coming of the lawless one, verse 10, with all unrighteous deception uh, and strong delusion, it's a very sophisticated lie a delusion that is very persuasive, a delusion that has this ability to be very persuading. I'm amazed at kids in our church, raised in our church, and sometimes I'm in conversation I'm amazed what the school has imparted into their thinking about socialism and morals and transvestites and the list goes on and on and on. The hour in which we live, you probably just recently heard one of our pastors, uh, uh, the play Hamilton. And at the end of that play, a young man gave an altar call, very simple, it says, if you're bound in fornication or adultery or homosexuality, Jesus can save you. He loves you and can set you free. This was live stream. This explosion it was so, so horrendous. They had to shut down their website. Uh, his mother church shut down their website. I spoke to this pastor on two or three occasions. He told me there was like 50,000 obscenities and attacks for the simple statement, Jesus can forgive you, he loves you, and can set you free from sexual sins. That staggers my mind. But it's prophesied. And so the problem is, uh, is we're being bombarded with unbiblical information from wrong sources with people who are disillusioned in thinking they're right. They're obsessed with the right. This is education, it's the entertainment world, it's government, it's social media, it's the sports world, it's families, all of it. There's probably not one here that indirectly or directly that you've not been infected or at least tried to be influenced. Generation Z, I quote again, a pandemic of personality disorders and social issues. I quote, broken homes raised broken children who have become broken adults. And the problem is, it doesn't end there. When you're married to one, you're having to live with their disorder and their problem and that can be very tiring and painful. Now it's not just your problem, it's their problem. And if you're not careful at this point, there's a thorn in your flesh. Let me ask you, are you the thorn in someone's flesh? Are you the thorn in someone's flesh? And we'll talk about that. Are you the thorn in your pastor's flesh? Your spouse, your husband, your wife, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, because the Bible is filled with illustrations of this scenario. King Saul, you think about, he was a thorn in David's flesh. We're not sure exactly where it began, but we know this man had disorders. We're not sure what triggered it. I can only uh, perhaps Maybe it was when David killed Goliath. Here's this giant of a Philistine, this warrior. Here's the armies of King Saul. It's an embarrassment every day. Goliath would come out and mock the people of God. First Samuel 17, 10, send me out a man. Give me a man that we may fight. Verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw this man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So here is this crisis. Here is this heathen warrior mocking the God of Israel. They're terrified and here comes David not much more than a lad, very young. He's been tending sheep. He come to bring some cheese, some milk perhaps, bread to his brothers who were in the fight in the army and he hears this and something in him rose up. Let me ask you young men, can God raise something up in you against the spirit of the hour that is mocking Godliness, mocking righteousness, mocking the church, mocking the... Many. can Is something in you that'll rise up and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Is there not a man to go out? He's crying out. Is there not a man with a vision, with a heart, with a passion that will confront this demonic inspired individual? Word goes to King Saul, he calls David. He said, you're not able to go out against the Philistine to fight. You are a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. And David said, the Lord deliver me from the bear and the lion and he shall deliver me from this Philistine. Something interesting happens here. King Saul puts his armor on David, perhaps a helmet, breastplate, a sword. And it doesn't fit many years ago in Malaysia. I heard Reinhard Bonke preach on this text. He's deceased now, you probably know him, bloodwashed Africa, etc. He was doing a crusade in a Muslim nation. All the pastors were assembled. I remember he preached this. uh, He said, the problem with the church today, they're trying to defeat the Goliath with the world's uh, armor. And I mean, it was intense. I loved it, but it was intense with all those religious pastors. He said, you're trying to defeat a demonic-inspired giant. with worlds instruments and he made his statement. You remember the remember the power team? How many long enough? Remember they used to break bricks with their head and all that stuff? He said, I thank God I don't have to break bricks with my head to get people saved. But anyway, that's another story. But but here here he says, he says, that's not gonna work for me. I've not tried it. It doesn't fit me. This there would have been an audience there. I wonder, Saul, how he responded right here. I wonder if he thought, who is this young kid? He's never been at war, who does, what what does he know about combat? What does he know about this giant? How could he reject what I'm trying to place on him? You know the story? in a flash, David becomes from a nobody to a national hero because he slays a giant with a sling and a rock. You can imagine how the news would have spread like wildfire. And what compounds the problem and amplifies it, and personality disorders if you have a a glitch in your personality and there's various reasons for this it can be how you were raised i preached a number of sermons, probably 10 15 years ago about the fatherless generation or you've been wounded as a young lady Uh, You've been somewhere, you've been rejected, you've been abused. Uh, uh, Sometimes it's generational curses that have trafficked. It's a culture of how you were raised. Your home had a culture. That culture dictated your appetites. That culture dictated uh, uh, your priorities. That culture dictated your language. uh, How you viewed people. Were you insecure? Uh, Were you a victim? The culture of your home shaped who you are today. Churches have a culture. I mean, no, some churches are just mean. I know this isn't one, but some churches are just mean. Them folks are mean. Other churches, this culture of this church and this this area of our our fellowship is life and death. Uh, Is it a culture of redemption? Is it a culture of forgiveness? Is it a culture of liberality? Is it a culture of discipleship? Uh, People who come through the doors and are saved, that culture, that invisible dynamic begins to influence them and create who they can become. Is it a culture of hope or is it a culture of gossip? and criticism and negative and cynical and bitter. People come into the kingdom and the problem with broken homes and broken societies, it's created this culture that men and women are born into this and it affects who they are. Here's King Saul. We don't know a lot about his history But you know, it's amplified when he hears the lady singing the chorus. Saul slays his thousands, David his 10,000. And this, what is it, nine words of chorus? It's like it's stuck in his soul. He spent the rest of his life a thorn in David's flesh. How do you react when someone else gets applause? How do you react when someone else gets the accolades or the promotion? We just had our Bible conference and, and had a young, bunch of young men preach. One of them, uh, Lima Peru, uh, preached a sermon, and I mean, man, people went wild. Uh, but it's interesting, I heard a couple of uh, pastors that were his age, two or three pastors that they're all out on the field but they're all like in their 30s, they went out to eat and had his sermon for lunch. And it was, so I called him in my office. I said, I heard you was running your mouth. I confronted one of them. I said, I remember when you was in church, I told you, stop running your mouth. And, and uh, years ago as a disciple, I said, and, and remember another guy in church knocked you over a wall. Did you did you learn and then finally though they're good men? They're just finally he said and, and then one of them come in and said, Pastor, it was me. He said, and I've gone to him and apologized. I was running my mouth. I, I shouldn't have said that. Which I admire somebody who'll do that. What about you? Here's King Saul. And this disorder in his personality dominated his entire life. You think about it, he's king. The responsibility, the possibilities, the economy of a nation, the army of a nation, he's a family man, all that's involved, and yet he wastes his life Trying to destroy or discredit the one who was designed to be his greatest blessing. That's what happens sometimes if you're not careful. Your wife, she's designed by God to be your greatest blessing and asset. And you have to discredit her or embarrass her. Or your husband, dear. Your husband. I tell guys all the time. Uh, I do pastor things and stuff. I said, the church will treat you like your wife treats you. If she don't respect you, the church won't respect you. If she's always got a better idea, the church will always have a better idea. Praise the Lord, that's free for you tonight. <laughs> and, uh, but, but but what I'm talking about here, think of this, this guy, and he started out so powerful. Remember he was anointed. Remember, the Bible said God gave him another spirit. He prophesied. I mean, his beginning was so spectacular, and yet his life was pretty much wasted. I mean, he, he, his own son, Jonathan, they died together. It didn't have to be. He has a disorder. What about you? How do you react? How do you respond? Saul couldn't process correctly. The Bible said he was very angry and this saying displeased him. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. The mark of disorders is you become obsessed you become obsessed with a little Kodak snapshot moment of life. You become obsessed. Someone said something. I mean, you know, people say dumb things. I mean, have you figured that out? That's why I have all those Campbell 334466, 6, uh, amen. Don't take yourself too serious. There's a lot of you. Don't take everything in life personal. Praise the Lord. I learned that along the way. Learn to leave things with God. Amen. Don't be talking stupid and acting all crazy. Amen. That's for all the disciples. They put t-shirts out in Chandler with that on it. Sold them. Made money off of my statements. Amen. But, but, but you see what, I, what I'm talking about here is, is this, Saul seems to be all over my congregation. I don't know about yours, but I'm pastoring people that have all of these resemblances. He becomes a thorn in David's flesh, and he's tormented, he's depressed. You know the story, he calls David because he's got some kind of mental issues and migraines, and David comes and plays the harp and he tries to pin David to the wall with a spear, the one who's trying and evidently brought him some kind of peace. Is that you? Praise the Lord. Are you the thorn in someone's flesh? Kids, are you the thorn in mom and dad's flesh? I'm gonna show up Friday night. Amen. At the U thing, amen. <laughs> they tell us today depression, stress, and anxiety is off of the charts. One in every three American adults have these conditions. Saul eventually goes to a witch to try to find some kind of direction in life. What about you? The problem with social disorders, you're afraid to trust. Hard, sometimes you think Correction is rejection. Your pastor speaks a word to you, trying to help you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about my I'm talking about my life, trying to help people, trying to have a conversation. But it's like you have to to have a conversation. It's like you almost have to walk on eggshells with so many of them because they they misinterpret your intentions, they misinterpret your messages sometimes. They misinterpret what you're trying to do for them. They view it as you don't care about me. The catchphrase I hear today is you don't understand me. That's their defense against changing. We want people to understand But they're wanting us to change. And I understand, I get it. Uh, Pastor, if you knew what I've been through. Pastor, if you knew what I felt. Pastor, if you only understood. And they begin to lay out their story. And then they say, you don't understand me. And it's like the catchphrase, accept me just like I am. I want you to accept, and we acceptance is critical. Every church has to accept people when they walk through the door. People need acceptance. People need hope for their future. Pastor, you see me next year. I won't be like this. A young man, uh, uh, Pastor Ortiz, just sent me a, a picture. Actually, Scott Grabowski was with me. He was talking to me on the phone. This guy got saved uh, when I was there in Mitchell's Plain last year, and uh, he had gregs, I mean, and and he just got a haircut. He sent me a photograph of him getting his haircut, uh, and and you know, and people need acceptance. They need hope for the fu- future. Pastor, you see me next year. I'll be. I won't be like this. My marriage will be different. My life will be different. Uh, and then that hope is hope for ministry. Every congregation people need to feel there's something they can contribute. That moves them from, from uh, I'm just attending to now this is my church. They need justice. People need justice. People I've pastored a lot of people. And you know I have to make hard calls. I put this family's daughter out of church indefinitely and uh, moral issues. And so they tried to sneak her in at the Christmas play because all the nieces and nephews. I said, nope, she's not coming in. Well, here comes mama into my office. I said, wait, 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 wait. There's a pastor's daughter here that I just put out indefinitely. Oh, justice, justice, I have one pastor his kid was biting all the other kids in nursery, and he couldn't figure out why the mothers were all leaving the church. I says, not a mystery. Get that little demon-possessed child of yours. Amen. <laughs> These folks need some justice around here. <laughs> but it's like today you don't understand me, and the this is the temptation. You hide from changing. We excuse ourselves this phrase. They call it personality blindness. Instead of changing, we blame. Your marriage is stuck. It's stuck. Someone's having to live with your thorn. You're asking for understanding And they're crying out, God, God, change him, please, 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 please. If you'll just understand me, you would know why I act like this and you wouldn't expect me to change. You'd give me a pass. We're looking for sympathy. But people are living with you and around you, they're looking for change. Listen, everyone Jesus touched changed. Don't tell me he's touched you if you've never changed. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed, be changed. That you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can God change you? Are you still pliable in his hand and by his word? The good news is Jesus died and rose again that you and I don't have to be tomorrow who we are today. Do you ever think about the woman Here's Jesus, he's, Simon the Pharisees invited him to his house. Jesus is very popular at this time. And most scholars feel Mary Magdalene, she comes in, it's a courtyard setting, there's people, there's neighbors, there's family. And you can feel, you know, you know Simon said it, if he knew what manner of woman this was, who's touching him, he can't be a prophet. And so you can hear the whispering. Who is this woman? What is she doing here? Who invited her? How? It's did... not with me. And she's weeping. Her tears falling on Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair, anointing his head with oil. And here's this woman. But you see, if you don't understand the question, if you don't know the question, you'll never understand the answer. So Jesus looks to Simon and he says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Two men owed one of them 500 denarii, one fifty denarii, and they were both forgiven. Which one would love the most? He said, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. He said, you've answered rightly. Then he flips it on him. He said, when I came in, you gave me no water for my feet. Those days, sandals, the streets, there was all kind of animals. It was just common courtesy. He came in, they sat on the floor, your feet would be facing people or backwards, they would have some water in a basin to wash your feet. He said, you gave me no water. You gave me no kiss. This woman has not ceased kissing my feet and washing my feet. You gave me no oil for my hair. This woman has not ceased. And what he was saying is, here's a woman who's, and she doesn't defend herself. It's hard to defend yourself when everything they say about you is right. Her reputation but what we must understand is your reputation doesn't have to dictate who you are. The reputation of her past, she's there later at the, at the, at the cross, she's there at the tomb. And so your past doesn't have to dictate your future. Oh yes, I, That's. I'm not defending myself. That's who I used to be, but that's not who I am. Amen. God expects us to change from glory to glory into his likeness and into his image everyone but you will never ever change as long as you live behind excuses as long as you live uh, he paul talks about looking in a, a mirror and seeing yourself but the problem is if you'll never look in the mirror if you'll never have an honest conversation Am I a thorn? Do I bring torment to people? Am I always in some kind of conflict? Am I always defensive when it comes to dealing with character change? I close pastor in the Northwest. I've known him for many, many years. Big conflict with his pastor leader Big, huge conflict. I mean, this guy, he's older. He has children, pastors, decent church. He finally pulled his church, left the fellowship. But it's interesting when this conversation, and all the dynamics, he was full of pride. I brought 50 people into the mother church. Don't allow your past success or influence for God become your present excuse for rebellion or refusing to see yourself. Pastor Mitchell said something to me a number of years ago, and actually, when he said it, I thought, eh. He said, Camel? He said, more. Pastors are destroyed by success than failure. And at the time, I thought, Shh, "Give me, give me a chance at it." <laughs> but he's talking about leaders and stuff. And and here's a man that was probably one of the most successful out of his mother's church. But his. Spiritual success become his defense for his default, his disorder, his sin. Pulled his kids, most of them, not all of them. His church, started another church, another building. Left, gone. After decades and decades and decades of relationship. Thorn in that pastor's side. Thorn, I mean, mean, let me ask you tonight. Are you a thorn in your pastor's side, in your wife's side, your husband, your parents, your church? I ask you to bow your head with me tonight.